led by a vision to Thessalonica and then driven out by the chosen. In between, Paul had three Sabbaths to preach and point to a cohesion of believers. The Christian church was still new, but already there were people trying to profit from it. The chosen were now harassing newcomers. Power politics was rearing its ugly head. And in this environment, Paul preaches truth. And those who chose to discover truth came together and were set free. That's what true belief does. It does not separate or cause divide. It brings people together. The chosen and the Gentile, the baptized and the seeker. In today's world, the conservative and the liberal. And the remnant. Wait, that's us. Do we behave like the chosen of Paul's days? Hmm. Kind of scary, but also kind of true. I'm Falvo, and this is Sabbath School University. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. Sabbath School U, a weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. We heard you, and we're back for now. This program has been in flux for the six years I've been producing it. Yes, I know you'd like to point fingers at me and say that's the reason, but there's more at play here. This time, at least, we're back on the campus of Andrews University, where I love the diversity of our panel throughout the last six years, and the hosts have brought so much to the discussion. I've got three of the latest hosts joining me for this show, so tell us something about yourself that you haven't said before, and Sarah, keep it legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You better do that. Oh, I'll work on it. Well, my name is Aika, and um, I don't know. I think I've, I've shared quite a bit about um, all kinds of stories. The one maybe I haven't, my wife is an expert dessert maker, which isn't really about that. her, but uh, I enjoy the desserts. We cannot believe it until we've seen proof. <laughs> I've seen proof, and it's absolutely true. <laughs> and I will support it and receive more at any point. <laughs> All right, well, I'm Sarah May Cologne, and well, this week I got in trouble for climbing a tree. So you got what else trouble. is new? <laughs> it was because really you fell bizarre. out of the tree? No, or? I was up in the tree, and I was just like standing there, and this person's like, get out of the tree, and I was like, okay. You know you can climb down without falling off the tree. Right, okay. and I did, very okay. smoothly, of course, <laughs> with right. ease and expertise. Andrew? Uh, yeah, my name is Andrew Campbell. Something that I haven't said on the show before, which I couldn't have, um, is that by the end of this quarter, I'll be married. <gasps> Does she know? <laughs> yeah, she knows. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So Congratulations! Oh, Congratulations! So <laughs> well, since you've got that greatest news, mm -hmm. could you offer prayer and read text, please? Sure, sure. That's about right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege to study your word. Uh, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us now as we discuss your word and uh, how it applies to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So this is the f this first of 13 studies on Thessalonians. Bravo. Yes. I guess I should read the key text. Did you forget? Yeah. Please. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I'm going <laughs> to It's 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And uh, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which mm. also effectively works in you who believe. Mm. This is why I let you guys do the hosting, <laughs> to make those special announcements. This is the first of 13 studies on Thessalonians. Um, Paul writes this 
uh, letter to the to ch this church that he only had a few weeks to sort of establish, mm -hmm. and then he had to leave. But he's, he's it's a church that was very special to him. Have you thought of, I mean, have you ever had an experience where somebody came and helped you and then later on kind of mentored you or, or helped you grow? Yeah, I think for me, I've had a lot of different experiences with that because sometimes I get myself into situations really? where I don't really realize how much help I really need in order to get through them. And I think... Um, Seems to be a reoccurring I Non-stop, since birth. Just one, I stand by, just one story. I try to think of one. One is probably, I remember when I was an undergraduate, studies, I was taking a course and it was just, for some reason, I did not plan ahead and I did not study the way I should have. Mm -hmm. And the night before, I remember it was one of the most humbling experiences. Someone came in and they just sat me down and like told me, like, this is what you need to do. And like, just the whole night, spent the night helping me through it. And it was one of those people that I always, this sounds horrible, but I always had helped them. And so it was like just mm. such a reverse moment where like mm -hmm. I had to sit back and just be like, okay help me because I can't do this without you and that was a really hard experience I know it's kind of a lame example but it's a place where you let somebody else yeah sort of mm -hmm. they had to take control and like show me how to do the process in order to get to the end of the how course. old were you at that time I was probably 21 22 it's harder than at that time exactly I mean, if it was 10 it's like please help me when exactly. you're 20 you're like let me help you that's right <laughs> and it was something I normally was really good at but for some reason like the methods of doing I just couldn't put it together mm. That was really weird. Either one of you? I had an ex I, I'll agree with that undergrad. I had an experience. Uh, I went to college the first time, and so I was there a little early to move into the dorm and all of that the week before that, and the guys were going to play soccer. And so I'm like, well, I'll go and play. And the first time you meet a new group, you kind of have to establish that you actually know what you're kind of doing. <laughs> uh -oh. So it worked fine for the first goal that I scored on the second time. The goalie was faster at my feet than he was at the ball, oh, and no. so, um, yeah, I tore a ligament uh, right there. And I first thought, oh, it's just sprains. So I'll just sit. I'm, <laughs> I'm cool. I'll just sit and watch you guys. And it just, just kept swelling and oh, swelling wow. and swelling. And I didn't know anybody yet. And mm -hmm. a couple of the guys, they just took me, and I was whimpering and whining and just mm. being a child. Uh. Well. Being in pain. Being yeah. in pain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, helped me get through that, and they became very close friends to me, yeah. even to this day. Oh, that's wow. Okay. It's funny, you know, um, I can think of two experiences, one that relates to yours and one that relates to yours. <laughs> I once broke my nose and had some friends, you know, helping help me with that. But the one I wanted to share um, was actually leading up to my studies here in the MDiv program when I was applying to the program. Um, I was very close to the deadline for application and I had a lot of things uh, to do at that particular time and so I was really stressed out and I actually felt as though I wasn't going to be able to make it. I wasn't going to get all the application and, and stuff in. Um, and you know what? Uh, my dad saw me you know, really stressed out with everything and, and he kind of sat down and he says, son, hey, what do you need me to do to help you? Mm -hmm. You know. And um, he, he just really just helped me through. And really, that was why I was able to start the MDiv program when I, when I did. Because, you know, wow. he, he was there for me when I felt, you know, just really stressed with everything that I had to do at the time. And, and he really helped me out. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that there's so many examples. You know, parents are a great example of that. Sometimes you don't even realize what they're doing. You know? Till afterwards. <laughs> Till afterwards, because I look back and I think of all the things that my parents pretty much single-handedly rescued me from <laughs> without me even being aware of it, and, mm. or my brother or close friends, and it's just it's kind of ridiculous. So when people come to help you, mm -hmm. um, from, for me it was 
I had a tumor in my right leg, and I had this whole thing of, you're going to die, you may not die, yes, you will die, and mm -hmm. we'll have to take this out. And finally, when they did it, they took it out and did you're whole, the whole alive. surgery. Yeah, I th some people think so. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was learning, to, I had to learn how to walk all over again. Mm -hmm. And it was frustrating because my mind would tell me I could put my foot forward, and my leg would say, Are you nuts? Um, <laughs> so my wife would have to help me climb up, get up the stairs, and come down. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult for me mentally to give up control of something I know mm -hmm. I can do, but the patience and just being able to let go and help somebody help help me, that was that was a challenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was working through the pain and just learning how to do something that should be so natural. Yeah. In some ways, it's that helplessness that, that this is beyond your control, yeah. and something that is very simple um, just becomes very difficult. How does that work in, in, in ministry? <laughs> when you get out to, when you think that you're the person that has to help people, mm. Mm. you know. There, I remember going to Singapore to, to to work, and after living in LA, and I was supposed to do this broadcast gig, and I was supposed to set up a radio station and, and, and the studio out there. I figured I live in LA, I know everything. I landed in Singapore, uh -huh. and I'm like, whoa, this place is complete. I mean, this was amazing. You know, I was felt so out of place. Oh, and wow. I, I'm not sure who did more in terms right. of learning while well, there. Um, how does it work when you go in ministry? I mean, wh what's the importance of understanding the people you're reaching mm -hmm. and the approach you take? You know, I think of uh, when you, you're going to do ministry, I think sometimes you end up getting ministered to even more than, than mm -hmm. you can, any, even more than you can give to anyone. Right. Um, because this, just almost the nature of ministry, it's always a, a two-way street. Um, so I think if you go out with the mindset, you know, that I have what you need and basically I don't need anything from you, that's, that's a, a wrong foot to start on, you know, because um, it's almost condescending and generally people don't like that. Right. So how, do, how would you do that? I mean, if you were, if you were going to do a, a, a series of meetings mm -hmm. in a different country, would you take a um, this is how to do it book <laughs> and study it because it works here and then go to some other foreign country? or? Appalachia or someplace in the United States that's different culture from where you are, um, what would you do? Did you take the cookie cutter thing and say, well, this has been proven by so-and-so and it came directly from this and this? Mm. How, how would you do it? I mean... Anybody. We just learned well, we must take the paper. If I can just add on to that, I think that for me that is one of my biggest frustrations with systems mm. sometimes is, is that as someone who has grown up overseas, I would see a lot of the missionaries that were coming for short term mm -hmm. coming in and throwing down this like to-do list and none of it pertained to anything within the culture. And it was just like all foreign. So their examples were just so ridiculous because mm. they'd get up there and say them and everyone's like chuckling a little because the person's chuckling at themselves or something, but there's no connecting at all. And until you build that relationship and that connectivity with that culture or incorporate, like, research out a little bit more, the Bible applies mm -hmm. to every culture, you know, and take those points as opposed to trying to shove it into a tiny little box and be like, hey, this is what I had for you, and this is the only way you can receive God mm. in this little section. Yeah. I think the difficulty is is two things. There, there has to be something that we say is, is Christian or, or in our circle of community that is Adventist. And that needs to be, a, there, there, there needs to be some firmness about what is the essential things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then there needs to be some, and you said the Bible is that foundation, mm -hmm. but then there needs to be that application because we only understand the language that we speak. Okay. Right. We only understand uh, the metaphors that are used in our language. 
and um, I've caught myself and, and my family over and over again in using German metaphors <laughs> that we've implied into English. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And it's like, mm. it's obvious, this is a metaphor. And it's like, yeah, but we say that completely different. Exactly. Um, uh -huh. So here you say brand new. Well, if you were to say brand new, and we just literally translate that back into German, it's like fire new. And it's like, what are you talking about, fire? <laughs> <laughs> and we would say nail new. But if you'd say nail new in English, it make nobody understands what you're talking yeah. about. That's so awesome. these are just, just some of the things where language, and that is just reflective of, of a culture, Absolutely. of a setting, of Absolutely. people, of, of how people live. For sure. And you know, um, I think in terms of Christian teachings, Adventist teachings, I think when you're going into a new culture, new culture, you have to establish what are the non-negotiables mm. and where do you have some room you know, that you can flex a little bit. You, that's something that you have to know um, because you, have, you can't, there's not everything that you're going to be bringing from one culture to another that is necessarily is be, um, from the Bible or from the spirit of prophecy. There's some things that we do in Adventism that are cultural. For example, here in the United States, we eat haystacks. Mm -hmm. I, I, did, I didn't know what haystacks were, you know, until I came here. And then, you know, for some people, that's so much a part of, you know, healthy living that, you know, they take that and, hey, this is... My neighbors know. have said that. <laughs> we never knew about haystacks until we met a couple of lavenders. We never yeah. heard that word. Yeah. They're really we have our own Americans. vocabulary. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like this, this uh, lady from Malaysia, she had to find a... Um, a university in Australia, so she went alphabetically, and the first one she found was an Adventist university. Okay. And so she went over there, and the first Sabbath she was there, this was back in the, I think, the 70s, mm -hmm. and they invited her for potluck. Uh. And she wasn't, she wasn't an Adventist, <laughs> no. so she walks in there, and she goes, I thought these people didn't do drugs. Oh, and then no. she went there, because that's, that's her impression. Then she that found what potluck so was all about. Um, wow. And I think a lot of times, I mean, it's true, when you're meeting with people, you, we have to understand that a lot of it is cultural. Mm -hmm. um, there is, like you said, there's this core, but even if you take the core of what's in Scripture, the approach or the, uh, the methods, the methods yeah. are modified for your yes. audience. Yeah. And I think what often happens is that there's just an, a certain ignorance mm -hmm. um, about other cultures and other ways of seeing things. Right. Um, and I say for myself, this is the world view I have, this is how right. I grew up, this is life. Mm -hmm. And that there are so many different shades. It awful, often takes a lot of time to acquire that. And, and I noticed when we first came from Germany here, we're like, why do Americans do this? And this is like really stupid and we do things better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've noticed that people that come into a different culture, it takes about a year of just spouting off angry words and saying, ah, oh, it doesn't work, why do they do it like that? We do it much better. And after like a year, a year and a half, two years, right. people are like, wait, this actually makes sense. This mm -hmm. is actually better than what we right. used to do. Mm -hmm. right. And it just takes that time of, of learning a different way of looking at things. So yeah. that's, that's a challenge is the fact that the familiar is right. comforting, even mm -hmm. though it may be incorrect, it's comforting. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to move out of the familiar. Your turn, Sarah. <laughs> My turn. Okay, so one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, especially since when I moved to the States, I was the grumpy, bitter person from afar. And one of the things I realized is that, you know, so often we pray for an open heart when we read scripture or pray for an open heart when we go to church or evangelistic series or whatever it may be. But we don't often pray for an open heart when we go into a new culture to receive what they have to give us. Mm. And I think what I think you were saying earlier was is that so often we receive so much more of a blessing by going and, you know, reaching out to different people. But the thing is, is so often we go and saying this is 
the only way that works. And to them, that shuts them down. But if you go in and you explain why you're doing what you're doing and then say what works in your part, then I think that will make it come to life for them. And then also in return, it can give you a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And it just opens up your heart even more. Paul, what I like sorry. about it is, yeah, I, I wanted to go to Paul. Because Paul is this person that actually assimilates to the culture that mm -hmm. he's at. And, and each of these books, I mean, when, when we read the books, we go, well, these are the letters of Paul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're not. They're letters specifically to right. a geographical exactly. area, a different culture that Paul understands. He understands. So the needs in, in, in Romans and the needs in Colossians, and the, they're but, different. But even beyond that, even the way he ministers to these congregations is very different. Mm -hmm. So in, for the Thessalonians that, that we're going to be studying now, for the Thessalonians, he decided that he was going to work as a tent maker along the side because he didn't want to put an extra burden mm -hmm. of financial right. or profit right. that people wouldn't have that mm -hmm. stigma. So he goes into this society uh -oh. knowing Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm like, that's a great example. But how does that, I mean, I mean, go ahead, finish your thought. And I'm, I'm yeah, coming in. That, then he'll destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, um, so, so that's what he, he did. Uh, it worked for that setting. And he says in other settings it's going to be different. But in this setting, this is what I'm choosing to do to make it easier for people to accept the gospel. Mm. See, that's a part of Paul that we don't, we don't talk a lot about. Right. Is he was, he was self-supporting. Not in the fact that he came to his friends and his neighbors and said, give me money so I can go. Mm -hmm. He found a way, he, because he knew God, if this wasn't God's leading, then the, it, it wouldn't work out. Mm -hmm. yeah. he, he was a tent maker. He, he made sure that he wasn't a burden to either the, to the people that sent him yeah. or the people he was going to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting because he actually says that is in that something that that's extra that he's going like he's going the extra mile because he does say you know you know because we've been a blessing to you in spiritual things you should be a blessing to us in material things but I'm paving my own way I'm st I'm not placing any extra burden on you so I'm mm -hmm. still you know working in, on the side and making sure that you don't have to support me but uh, you know that's Paul but I think it's also relatable to her. You know, like you meet more people when you're working with them as opposed to like I stand up front and I say nice things and then hope that you can relate. But if you're side by side, I mean, I used to um, help once in a while I'd go with my brother and he laid brick and so I worked with the guys and it was like I couldn't relate with them on a lot of things outside of that. But when we were both out in the sun, you know, putting brick down, I mean, there's a whole new level of relating, you know. There is nothing, you know, or when you go camping with people, there's a whole new level of relating with them because you're doing something with those people on their, mm. their comfort zone, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily the model for all ministry. True. Right. Yeah. But it is a model that worked for the Thessalonians. And he did receive money from the Philippians at this time. And he does support, as Andrew, you've already yeah. pointed out. Yeah. So it's this, this general, I'm going to do what needs to be done to serve the people in their location. Without creating a distraction yeah. from anything else. Right. Okay. Now, so he takes the gospel to the Thessalonians, and he's trying to preach the reason for, for Christ coming to earth. Why is it important? Why is it important? I feel like Elmer Fudd. Yes. <laughs> why was it important for, for Christ to come down to this earth? Why, I mean, why couldn't God just say, Adam and Eve, you're two people. It's rather easier um, forgiving two than the billion that are going to come because they're going to keep multiplying. Well, I... I mean, I, how do you take that to the Thessalonians? <laughs> this whole idea of, you know, this, this God that came down to die for your sins. Can I challenge you on that? When we look at Acts 17, where we talk about the message, uh, Paul has that message, Luke mm -hmm. records, what did he say? It is necessary for Jesus to die. 
as a, as a savior. And that is his proving point. It is necessary. And this phrase is actually a very important one. It is necessary. And it, mm -hmm. and it was necessary for Jesus to do that. And back in that culture, he's addressing a popular stigma that Jesus was a shameless person. Mm -hmm. He died a shameless death. He was a horrible criminal that got put on the cross. And he's trying to address these people and their need mm -hmm. and show actually, no, it's not something that was an accident. It wasn't a judicial thing. It wasn't mm -hmm. that something that Jesus brought upon himself. It was something that was pre-planned. It was something mm -hmm. that God had in mind. So it's God is is in control of history. That's, I think, what he's trying to say. And that's going to be important in Thessalonians as we get to chapter 4, where he's going to be talking about Jesus coming again. Mm. Jesus will come again, but it's in God's, God's his, God is leading history, and so we can trust him. I think that's what he's trying to point out in Thessalonians. And you all, we also have to realize that in many of these cultures, they had idols, and the only way they could figure out idols was to appease them. Right. Yeah. There was no. There was no control. Mm -hmm. It's if something happened, it's because you know something recently happened. It wasn't this a god that always protected and kept right. and governed in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, when you when we look at the reason for Christ coming again, we were from the earlier earlier discussion. I love the fact that Jesus spent thirty years getting to know the culture. Mm -hmm. And three years in ministry. I mean, the f idea that he knew how to tell the stories, he knew Absolutely. how to relate. Um, how does how did that affect Paul's ministry in the Thessalonians? Did he know them? He just had a vision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew. <laughs> um, and everybody's going, but that question wasn't we were discussed yeah. this earlier. No, so, so you're, you, the, the question you're asking is, you know, Jesus' ministry, you know, being immersed in the culture versus Paul almost just showing up and saying, "Hey, I'm here. Listen yeah. to me." But I think he was in the culture. Well, I think the first thing that he does is he goes into the synagogue. That's what we know. Yeah, he so that's goes a, and that's a culture he was familiar setting, with, right. mm -hmm. that he was an expert at. And then he was also a Roman citizen who had lived in different parts of the Roman Empire beforehand. Mm -hmm. So he had acquired that sensibility for uh, for the different people, and he knew what the topics were. And the topic was, well, we've heard about this Jesus in in Palestine. Something happened there. It's caught and got waves, and and now Asia Minor is kind of infected <laughs> with this virus. But <laughs> virus. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the the chosen at that time thought it was a virus. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now that well, they've been. It's been put down. Jesus is just a criminal. Don't mm -hmm. worry about it. And Jesus and and Paul goes in and says. This is actually the concern. It's not true. And so we hear in Acts that immediately people started to listen to him. So educate us here. How familiar was Paul with the synagogue? Incredibly familiar. Yeah, That's he, what his... he calls himself. He says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Mm -hmm. You know, I, he, he was like the, the top of the top in Absolute, terms of yeah. in Judaism. Um, you know, he studied under like one of the premier Pharisees of, of all time, like Gamaliel is mentioned like in Acts 5, and, and Paul studied under him. And so um, the whole rabbinical tradition was that, you know, when, when there was a very prominent rabbi, he would pick like one student and he would and he would study under him and then the idea was that he would become him almost. And that's like the kind of training that Paul got, which is very unique. You know, um, in, the, in the synagogue pedigree wasn't very important, right. which is very similar to the church. You know, the pedigree is important yeah. for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. So Paul comes and says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisee. Right. Yeah. I like the fact that he goes to the synagogue. Yeah. Okay. Where everybody, the, the purpose of a synagogue in most cases was look, waiting for the Messiah. Mm -hmm. So how does Isaiah 53 
help Paul's case. Mm. I think Isaiah 53 is kind of, you know, you look at Jesus' life and, and death especially, and you, and you compare that now with Isaiah 53, and then all of a sudden the comparison is, is very clear. Um, and Paul can use that because he's, like you said, he's trying to show these people, this was the Son of God. <laughs> you know, this, this, this is not just, you know, some criminal who died. There was something special behind this. And uh, I think Isaiah 53, in that sense, helps that case. They were expecting, the Jews were expecting this big Messiah that's going to overturn the, the Romans, the evil person, and they uh, turn the history upside down. And uh, suddenly there's this peasant guy who says, I'm the Messiah, and yet he <laughs> dies. And it's kind of like the, no, this can't be it, and this is not what we expected. Right. And Paul is saying, wait a second, guys. This is absolutely what was expected. And mm -hmm. in Luke, Jesus will say, I, he will show the Emmaus disciples from the prophets, from Moses the prophets, yes. and he will show throughout history and throughout Scripture that this is the true Messiah. And so Paul's use of the Old Testament goes back into this and this is actually the Messiah that we were waiting for, and we've had a wrong conception. It's not that the Bible is wrong. It's not that God is wrong. It's not that Jesus is wrong. It's that right. we're wrong, mm. and that's what we often don't like to admit, that we're wrong. Okay, so in Isaiah 53, when I first read it, the picture of Jesus here is not this bulked-up person with you know, combed long hair and, and a beard and everything else. I mean, the pictures of Jesus we always have is this really good-looking guy. Mm -hmm. But you read <laughs> Isaiah 53, and it's like, mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I was, if I read this after I saw the pictures of everybody's painted or took of, you know, or painted of Jesus, mm -hmm. not that they took any mm -hmm. pictures of him, but they, uh, they took, painted of him, it's a different picture. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the beauty of God is, is that he shatters our preconceptions, I guess, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Like, he typically tears down all the things that we've built up in our minds and he makes them more relatable and more, in a sense, no hierarchy because I think so often we, we get stuck on the, we have to do this in order to be cool or we need to do this, this and this and this, wear this in order to look like we're in style, do these things, you know, and it's like we, we go through such a phase of trying to one-up each other and to be better than everyone else that he comes back and he brings it back to be like, you know what, no, it's about being simple, it's about loving each other, it's about more than this. And also going back to what you said about, you know, Isaiah 53, the picture there, mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. In a sense, so I think uh, even even if he, he was good looking or not, mm -hmm. by the time he's on the cross, he's pretty disfigured. When you, when you look at the, when you look at that, the fact that they had Isaiah 53, he goes to the synagogue mm -hmm. and probably used Isaiah 53. How does that relate to the world today? I mean, we're all excited about the second coming, but our perceptions of of the second coming, like the remnant today, could be like the chosen back then. Mm -hmm. We're so mm -hmm. caught up in our own perspective that we don't see what it might actually be like. Yeah. I think what I like about that, that picture is that J P Paul says, look, Jesus is different than what you expected him to be. Mm. And the struggles that you have at the moment, and for them it was the second coming, are different than what you think they are. Mm -hmm. And so if Jesus is different, look to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we need to do as well, reflect upon ourselves and say, where am I right, where yeah. am I wrong, where am I struggling with? Jesus has the real mm -hmm. answer. I might have a distorted view of it. Come it comes back to what you said earlier. Go back and look without our biases and study scripture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the purity that's there. Yeah. Yeah.
Thank you very much. We're out of town. I have to jump out of town. Out of time. See, I'm doing We're the Elmer, Elmer Fudd thing again. <laughs> want to give a shout out to the Nairobi South Adventist Church. They wrote in, and I want to say hi. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschoolu.org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information, information and transformation for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Falvo, and we'll see you next week.